Ben, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. And our fans are awaiting another episode. <laughs> I've heard they are, so. They're yeah, champing at the bit. Trying to please. <laughs> uh, well, apart from all the normal stuff that you and I are constantly working through in life with kids and family and, and everything else, there is something that continues to come up in our circles, which is this breach birth topic. And I can't say that we're not responsible for that because you and I both independently hosted a breach workshop almost at the same time in uh, Kentucky. It's almost like Kentucky's becoming like the center of breach education in the United States between me and you. That's great. I love it. I don't know if we did that on purpose or inadvertently or secretly on purpose, but I think we did a great job doing that together. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It would be nice. I I have this dream of in 2023 having like a big breach conference somewhere in our, in our community, you know, or we're about 90 minutes apart. You live in Berea, in case anybody's curious, I live in Louisville and um, it's a straight shot down the highway to get between the two. And um, speaking of which, we're also going to see each other on Saturday, I think. So that would be really cool. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so excited. I can't Um, wait to see you and that baby I haven't seen in some time yeah she's she's growing she's growing up she's growing so we'll we'll get to have our families together on saturday that'll be nice um but yeah so we we both had a breach workshop you hosted yours for the indie birth program and you invited Stu fishbine who i don't think needs much of a an introduction and i hosted mine with rixa and david hayes rixa freeze and david hayes breach without borders Stu's is called birthing instincts or is it reteach breach what was what's yeah, I think he prefers the reteach breach hashtag. Got it. Which is a funny hashtag because many of us never were taught it in the first place. So it's sort of like teach breach. <laughs> <laughs> sure, let's go with that. Breach. We're going to have to send him a, 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 a text message later. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> have to redo all the shirts. Now everything has to change. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just have to get like a Sharpie and write, rub out the RE. Um, but the opportunity to, to, to learn breach is really, really critical, I think. It's um, the reason that we're even doing this and the reason that I think Stu is, has become so, uh, has such notoriety out on the West Coast is because he's willing to attend a birth at home. If a baby's butt first or feet first, um, which is a there's a difference there, but he um, he's willing to attend these these births at home because he's actually done this. He's actually attended breach births, and many of us, even though we've done the training, still haven't done a lot of breach. Like I remember the last time I attended breach was in residency, and of course everything goes just fine. And um, I mean, in those cases, they did. It doesn't always go fine. In fact, I just did a, an interview with Rixa on my podcast where instead of getting into the like term breach trial of 2000 and all this stuff, we actually talked about a breach. I, I don't know if I told you about this, but she shares a story about while she was in France, I think the family was in Belgium and they called her and she remotely was assisting the midwife during a head entrapment. And so, wow. and I don't know if it was a head or nuchal, nuchal arm, whatever, but mm-hmm. the baby was... It was about 15 minutes after the body delivered that the baby, uh, the baby's head delivered and, and or birthed. Sorry, and um, she was just sharing how, sharing how like we can't magically think that this is a normal variant of physiologic birth. It is in many regards, and there's specific techniques that you need to be familiar with if you get into this situation. And fortunately, the mom and baby did well as far as I've heard. Um, but teaching these techniques, it's not. 
it's it's sort of like teaching somebody to attend a birth, a cephalic birth. You don't generally have to do anything, but if something does happen, like a shoulder gets caught or something, you want somebody who's experienced. And we've talked about that in the past where training and retraining and practicing on these awesome simulators they have will help you in the moment to not freak out and not freak your patient out, your client out, and instead go through what the maneuvers that you've done over and over and over again. So so why don't we talk a little bit about what the training was like for you and what some of your takeaways are. And I know you love the simulators. So tell us a little bit about what, what you guys were doing in Berea. Yeah, yeah, it will be fun to both share this. So we had a one-day breach training. I think Stu is typically offering a two-day, which I'm sure is amazing. But we already had our Indie Birth Midwifery Skills Workshop Friday and Saturday. So we really wanted him to come for Sunday. Um, so he led a lecture for the morning and that was a slightly different one than I've heard, which was great. I feel like I've kind of kept up over the years with his differing breach and twins lectures. Uh, and that was really helpful. So yes, the skills, yes, the simulator, but hearing about his experience, hearing the stories, hearing statistics, even hearing selection criteria, that was all really helpful. And some of it was new and some of it wasn't, but it really just kind of rounds out the topic as well. Like, sure, if you find yourself at a surprise breach, then the skills are sometimes necessary, sometimes not. But having this more full picture approach with women that are coming that know they have a breach baby, which is most people usually, um, and having those skills as well. So how to counsel them or again how to choose who you might work with uh, I found that really inspiring and I know one statistic that stuck with me personally was that in Stu's practice at least the multips the the moms that have had a baby before he has nearly a hundred percent success rate which is just really encouraging I think for all of us like if the mom's had a baby and she's got a breech baby, like just chill out. It's probably going to be fine. <laughs> and if you need skills, cool. And then with first time moms that his success rate, I believe is 80%. So Whoa. you have that 20% of first time moms that just like a head down baby, you know, it's not right. necessarily going to pan out. And and I don't know, I'm not even a numbers person, but I found a lot of like confidence and peace and and that just made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and if if we contrast that with the typical practice of 99.9% of babies that present breach at 39 weeks are going to be sectioned out, um, that's way better. (laughs) Obviously, you know, a 20% C-section rate is not ideal, but, you know, most babies are not butt first for a reason. Most babies turn, and we always have to actually start by asking, why is this baby not turning? I remember that that case that you had up in Minnesota. Is it Minnesota? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, when I went to help Margot, yep. Yeah. And we thought that there was maybe some CNS abnormality or, or maybe because we didn't have any other information about the right, actual there was baby. Lacking, lacking info. Yeah. So conjecturing as to like, man, why do some babies not turn? And it could be CNS. Well, and then not yeah. to interrupt you. No, go for it. Then that baby came out head first. <laughs> right. We had almost 42 weeks. So right, right. You know, go figure that one. Anyway. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think that if we protocolize everything, it's it never ends up going well for the birth provider, the the care provider or the the patient. It's with these types of things, it has to be individualized. And I always start to think right off the bat, like, why did this baby not turn? Like, what's going on there? So 
if a minority, I think it's something like 3% of babies at 37 weeks will present breach. I, I don't know if I have that number correct, but it's a, it's less than 10%. Right. Um, and if of those 3%, 20% result in C-section, that is still not going to account for all of the C-sections, you know, in the United States. So if we could get that number of the, you know, a big chunk of those babies, 80%, as you said, out vaginally, if they are breech, we are going to do so much good for the maternal neonatal bonding experience, but also we're not going to put some additional um, risk in future pregnancies. And, you know, we always talk about TOLAC and all this other stuff. And yes, there's a risk, but why even put them through that major first surgery and then have to, then they have to face the conversation with their OB or midwife or whatever about the risk of rupture and all this other stuff. We just avoid that altogether, which is Kathy Spong wrote this great article back in the day and it was called uh, preventing the, uh, the primary C-section or something like that. And it talks about manual rotation and throwing out the labor curves and all this other stuff. But another topic that would have fit in nicely there, and I don't know if she even mentioned this in the in the in her paper, was what do we do about this breach issue? And and so it's for it's fortunate for us that we know people like Stu and Rixa and David Hayes who are who are doing their best to try to try to give us the skills in order to accommodate women who are probably not going to find the opportunity to have a breech baby in many hospitals. I mean, right. that's just that's the reality. Real. So, right. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, they are, they are changing history for sure. And I know there are other people involved in that too, but so grateful for that knowledge kind of returning and getting more refined and having more information. It's really amazing that mm. a lot of women do have more of a choice now I feel like and and that's slowly getting out that like oh it's not a necessary c-section like I at least can investigate my options and they might include include some crazy choices or you know far away drives but uh you know having more options yeah so I want to hear about your training since I wasn't there and I've never done the breach without borders live I've done the online portion so tell me yeah, so we did uh <clears throat> first off it was it was so popular they had to actually open up a second day, but the way that Rixa and David are doing it, because Rixa's spending most of her time in France now, is that she uh has this hybrid model where you do all of your online lecture training and it's really nicely done. They actually have a really nice it's called the Breach Pro webinar or something and you know it takes a couple hours to get through. It goes through all the data from the US, from internationally and the follow up data from the term breach trial and and how this is not a matter of safety. This is a matter of providing information to patients and their partners so that they can, um, clients and their partners. I'm trying to use your, adopt your language and it's it's so, awesome. so deeply ingrained. Um, uh, clients and their partners with the information so they can make an informed decision. So uh, you do all of that and then you show up and David travels around the country. David's an OBGYN. He did some high risk training as well. I think he did some um, obstetrical ICU training. So he's he's actually seen when, what happens when things go very, very wrong, which helps him, I think, also provide a little insight in, into uh, not so much a magical thinking. Um, in fact, the first breach that I breached training I attended was in Western Pennsylvania in my hometown near Pittsburgh. And um, David actually said to a room of midwives who all attend home births, he's like, we can't come at this with magical thinking. Like, there is no guarantee that this is going to go right, which is why we're doing the training. Right. So to just say the breach will come fine, like, okay, yes, you're right, 90 whatever percent of the time. But when that nuchal arm comes, you need to know these rotations. So uh, the rotational movements, the front to back and all that. So he brings the same, probably the same simulator that Stu carries with him, which is like a mold. It's like almost, it's like 
um, soft and squishy. It's it's like a silicone mold, and it has a vulva. There's an anus. There's a perineum. Um, and then David, he carries all this equipment with him and travels the country from one workshop to the next. And um, so we had the pleasure of hosting him, and um, we had about... I'd say 20 to 25 people sign up. So, you know, he does three people or no, four people at a time for like three hour sessions. And he did it all day Monday. And then at night we had a gathering of all the midwives at my house and Stephanie and the girls weren't in town. So I made a fire in the back. We did some storytelling, some sharing. Um, Everybody was getting pretty tipsy, I have to say. Um, So much so that I actually had to kick everybody out. It was like midnight and and I was like, I was like, uh, trying to be gentle about it I at 11 go. and 11, 15 and 11, 30. And then to run 12, I was like, you guys got to go. <laughs> you got to go out and get out of here. <laughs> and I was so, I was like, so exhausted myself. And, um, and, uh, so anyways, uh, that was great. And then the next morning at 8am, we had one final session as some overflow, um, where David was able to accommodate a couple more people. And, you get to go through the rotations and all these clinical scenarios. And it was just fabulous. Like, it's so nice to have your hands on. Oh, and the baby's also molded from silicone. There's like, there's like, I don't know if it's like metal or something inside the arms and legs, but it feels like a seven pound baby. Like it feels real. It does. It does have the weight and the feel of a real baby. It does. Yeah. And he covers it in like goo. So (laughs) in order to protect the model, but it comes out and you're like, whoa, like I remember one of the midwives, midwife students, it was like the baby was hanging, you know, the body was out and the baby's hanging head and she's trying the, the low and nudge. And I don't think she expected it, but the head like shot out and the baby fell on the ground. And it was like, well, that happens in real birth too sometimes, hopefully not too often, but. Um, yeah, I loved, I loved the way that baby felt in your hands and also the obvious that you could practice, right? Like I noticed when I was practicing and watching other people too, that, you know, sometimes you kind of push a little bit or you're pulling in a spot that wouldn't be great on a real baby. And it's nice to correct yourself and be like, okay, this is just practice (laughs) in real life. I would be more careful, but here I am. Yeah. And going through the people scoff at these simulations, but I have to say the one thing about residents. Why do they scoff? I don't know. Cause they're like, Oh, it's just a model. It doesn't sound, it, it's, it's as real as it's going to get, especially when David's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's not working. Not working. We can't wait any longer. It's been 10, 10 minutes. And what are you going to do? You know, and pushes you to do that. <clears throat> the value of simulations is actually the, the, the only thing that in our medical training institutions that I can fully get behind, because if you have a hemorrhage in the hospital and a woman has lost 1500, two liters, two and a half liters of blood. And they're like, think dumb, dumb. What are you going to do next? Like you have to be able to call for it in the moment. And if you haven't practiced that you freeze your catecholamines surge and you just shit the bed for lack of better terms. So the the goal, (laughs) you're not the only one in the room shitting the bed. Everybody's shitting the bed. Um, so yeah, so hemorrhage, shoulder dystocia, nuchal arm with breach, like these are all things we need to, we need to rehearse. And, and, um, you know, the other thing that, that I, I did want to talk about, but maybe we can just do it. We'll do this in our next episode is the value of, of practicing external cephalic versions so that if women do present with breach, especially if it's a complete breach or a frank breach and not like one foot hanging down and one up, it's, um, baby's kind of just curled up in there. You can almost 
magically rotate them if you can relax the uterus and get the woman in a the 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 client in a really safe cozy environment um and uh when that doesn't work you know we should be able to offer that and then if that doesn't work then we need to have more people like like you who are out there trained and willing to bring all of your gear to attend a home birth for for a person who otherwise would only be facing c-section in the hospital yeah i don't know with the time allotted if ECV is where we want to go, but I guess I wonder, would your average woman with a breech baby really even choose that if she didn't feel pressured or like she didn't have options? Because to me, as a woman, having had babies in my body, that sounds absolutely terrible. And I trust that you would even be gentle and you know what you're doing. But there is something to me just so wrong. Not that that shouldn't be an option. I get it. Um, but I mean, what are we talking about? Like turning, <laughs> forcing yeah. our will yeah. on this baby. Why? Right. I mean, in the big picture, why? I know why in the micro, but. Well, then let's, then let's, I think this is a good conversation around breach. Um, let's, why don't we, why don't we pause it here and we can do another, another recording in the future about ECV. Yeah, we'll just keep going. Well, we still have three minutes, so let's let's tie it up about this training. Anything else? Oh yeah, sure. You'd want to add, or I don't know, like how you're feeling differently. When are we going to get to attend some breach births together? Is my question. I'm ready. <laughs> I've lined up a couple, and they just find another <laughs> option, right? I mean, I guess part of the problem is people want they have to move to wherever they these these rare breach providers, so to speak, are are living and. With young kids and with you know your ten kids that are many are still very young, it's not really reasonable to say, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna pack up and move three hours away and wait for this baby." Because first off, we don't know when the baby's coming. Second off, secondly, um, it's just it's just too hard. It's too hard on your family. It, it it's know. not like going to any hospital and finding an OBGYN. So I think um, I disagree with you on this one. Go ahead. Let's let's hear it. If I well. I mean, if I had a breech baby, I don't know. I'd probably just call you to come over so I wouldn't have to travel. So that's relevant. <laughs> and I'd have Margot. So I'd have great support. But I would have Margot. That's actually the reality. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good friends. Um, yeah, I guess that's something that's been coming into my mind lately that women say they want options. And I feel like now that I've kind of put it out to the universe, like, hey, I'd love more breech experience. You know, I feel supported by you and et cetera. Um, It's actually surprising how many women aren't really wanting that in the ways that you would think. And to me, that means, well, yes, you might have to travel. And that does sound hard. And yes, all the reasons you mentioned. But we're talking about perhaps no other options. And I guess when it's put like that, I feel like there would be no choice for me. I would definitely... Yeah. Choose something that, you know, felt good and, and I felt supported, even if it was a little inconvenient. Yeah. I, I was speaking from the standpoint of a provider, like a midwife or a doctor traveling three hours in order oh, to attend it. Okay. That to me seems a little unreasonable versus having the option I to travel. You. But I'm going to actually, I'm actually going to give you some pushback as well, because if birth ensues in the most physiologic way, when a person feels safe uh, in their own environment, then it would be really hard for me. I mean, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a, mm. of a birthing person. You know, if I were to have to pack up everything from here and have a home birth 
at an Airbnb in Berea, that would also be like, oh, it's not my spot. It's not my place. It would it almost have the same, I'd almost have the same apprehension as I would with a hospital birth because it's not my space. I don't have my my surroundings. Like, um, you just don't know. I mean, you just don't know where you're where you're gonna end up. I mean, here in Kentucky for years, people were having breech babies in um or actually even just having babies, cephalic babies in a hotel room because there wasn't like a a way that, uh, you know, before licensing and all this other stuff, there really wasn't a way for people to, you know, you had to kind of go underground to find the, the, the ideal birth, the way that you attend it. Now, granted you weren't in Kentucky, um, and you would attend anybody anywhere because that's what you stand for. But if somebody was trying to do midwifery by the books based on the, you know, the powers that be what they'd say, they would say, you know, hey, I'll go and attend at a, ho- a hotel or something like that. Like, I just happen to be there when your baby's coming. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to emphasize is that being in a place in your home is different from being anywhere else. I totally agree with you. So I, I don't think it, I don't think it's easy either way. But no, your point stands. Not ideal. I mean, whatever that quote is, right? Like the first intervention a woman makes in her own birth is leaving her home. So oh, yes, I like and I and I do say that to people. I say absolutely, it's not ideal, but but if your only option really you feel is a C-section, then surely, you know, it's got to be better. Even if it ended in the same way, giving your baby and your body the chance of going into labor and having the benefits of labor still right. is better. So yeah, I mean, I don't envy women that feel like they're in that spot that feel like they still don't have many choices and traveling is hard it's not ideal so i think the hope is just more options will will start popping up and of course you know you and i both share this idea of like a retreat center where i'm sure breech babies and twins and all that kind of stuff would be welcome since we certainly you know have the connections to make that a reality um so yeah maybe something like that and somebody would come and it still wouldn't be home, but it would be a really great option. I don't know. We'll yeah. See. Come in advance and just make it home. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that's a short little breach chat, but to me.